0: Hello and welcome to February's edition of Lucina, which features highlights of the literature from Archives Disease in Childhood. To start with, there are two papers that coincidentally came out around the same time looking at possible antenatal causes of congenital heart disease. We know that only a few, uh, according to present knowledge, cases of congenital heart disease have discernible genetic or syndromic causes and some other factors that operate during pregnancy uh, may well be significant. The first study, which was the larger one of the two, comes from Quebec in Canada, and they looked at population data for the entire province. Two million births between 1989 and 2012. And that was published in JAMA. The, the study involved about 73,000 women with varying degrees of preeclampsia, and they looked at outcomes relating to general heart disease. They found a small but significant association between all types of congenital heart disease and preeclampsia. The association they found was stronger for those who had the preeclampsia earlier in pregnancy rather than later. By early, they defined less than 34 weeks. When they divided up the types of congenital heart disease, the association was maintained only for the non-critical rather than the smaller number that had critical heart defects, which is rather difficult to explain from the proposed etiology. Now, another study looked at blood glucose levels as a putative cause for congenital heart disease. This study came from California. They weren't looking at overt diabetes, but at actual measured maternal blood glucose levels. And they identified about 280 pregnancies where the babies were born with definitely diagnosed tetralogy of fallow or dextrotransposition of the great arteries. Um, They didn't look at other forms of congenital heart disease. Having identified these babies, they then looked retrospectively at what the glucose levels were in these women when they were pregnant between 15 and 18 weeks of gestation. They were compared to match controls that had healthy babies. They found an association with hyperglycemia at those gestations only in those with tetralogy of fallow, uh, and it was only just significant, but not in those that had transposition. Very few of the women were actually overtly diabetic, so that didn't explain the association. Now, on looking at the possible explanations for these findings in both these studies, they have significant flaws. They excluded stillbirths, and some of these babies may have died, so we don't know what might have happened then. They relied on observations in both studies in mid to late pregnancy, and the fetal heart, of course, forms long before that, often before the woman knows she's pregnant. So it's sometimes difficult to ascertain um, an etiology from that point of view. And there were inconsistencies between the different types of congenital heart disease. So no cause and effect can be proven here. In the preeclampsia paper, they cite evidence that what they call pro and anti-angiogenic signaling proteins can be detected early in pregnancies that later become preeclamptic and that might influence development of the fetal heart. However, uh, in my view, I think it's more likely that these are soft markers for a whole range of other factors that could be genetic, environmental factors, social factors that predispose to congenital heart disease and also the antenatal conditions that we've been discussing. Also, it's worth noting that both preeclampsia and gestational diabetes are getting more common, but the incidence of critical congenital heart disease has actually stayed much the same in Western countries over the years. The next paper is a rather curious one that I want to discuss about musty smells and asthma. Now, when we see asthmatic children in our clinics, would they often tell us that the house is damp and it smells musty? What does a smell mean? Does it mean anything? So uh, researchers use data from the uh, American National Health and Nutrition Survey, which surveys large numbers of adults and children and collects data in a longitudinal manner. They identified uh, 8,400 participants uh, of whom 2,800 were children, and they asked them about the presence. They asked them whether or not they had a mildew or musty odour in their house. They also, as part of this wider study, sampled house dust to see what organisms were present in the homes, Uh, and they looked at uh, IgE levels and allergy tests. They found a significant association between self-reported mildew or musty odor in the home, and childhood asthma. They found no association between exposure to allergenic fungi, which they looked for, Altenaria and Aspergillus species, and any atopic symptoms, and in fact, they found the opposite. When they looked for biological agents in the home, they found it actually reduced the risk of asthma and eczema, which might be something to do with a hygiene hypothesis in that exposure children to pathogens early on may protect against allergic disease. So it seems that there's something about the smell itself rather than the organisms that provokes asthma. Uh, or it may just be a reporting phenomenon in the families that uh, have asthma in the family are more likely to be sensitive to the smell and tell researchers about it. Now epilepsy. One of the things we face in clinics all the time is we to try to decide when to stop treatment in children with epilepsy that appear to be well controlled because we know whenever we stop it there's going to be a risk of the seizures coming back. So in Connecticut, United States, um, a group set out to do a, a long cohort study recruiting over 600 children, which is nearly all of those that actually were diagnosed in epilepsy within the state between 1993 and 1997. They followed them up a long time, well into adult life, some of them up to 15 years. There were some deaths. There were 19, of nine of which were possibly attributable to sudden expected death in epilepsy, SUDEP. They looked at phenomenon of pharmacoresistance, which they defined as failure to control seizures with two drugs used appropriately, and that occurred in about a quarter. They tried to analyse relapse and remission patterns, but found it was complicated and largely unpredictable. They categorised the long-term outcomes into a range of different types. The minority that had what they called smooth sailing epilepsy where they had sustained remission and no relapse at any stage after they came off treatment occurred in only about a third. In about 10% the remission came much later but was then sustained. There were about 5% who never even achieved one year remission, the most difficult ones. They tried to identify predictive factors but the only ones they came up with was what we might expect, those that already had a known neurodisability or a known brain insult. So this is somewhat disappointing in that it doesn't really get as much further forward in how to counsel families um, and predicting epilepsy outcomes. Uh, And it seems unlikely that anyone's going to do a much bigger cohort study than this in the future. Now, the final paper reviewed in Lucina is about resuscitation and about an interesting little study that looked at the use of a metronome in getting clinicians to sustain the correct rhythm when doing cardiac massage. Now we've all been to uh, life support courses where we're told instructed on mannequins to do cardiac chest compressions in the rhythm of particular musical favorites and the particular favorite for obvious reasons is Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Anyway they set the metronome to go at pretty much the same rhythm as the Staying Alive song and they looked at a range of staff in Miami uh, in scenarios not with real children and used mannequins. They found that if they set the metronome at 100 beats per minute it significantly improved performance in maintaining the rate but not the depth in some of the staff but not in others. So a metronome might help but in real life when there's an arrest and the general panic is anyone ever going to remember to switch it on? Thank you for listening.